Welcome to a special encore presentation of Compassion Radio. The interesting thing is that I started to receive not only the request of who need help, mm-hmm. but also I started to receive uh, information like some people were calling me like, Oksana, I can drive. Oksana, I can evacuate. Or Oksana, I have a car or I have kids clothes or I have a kid's food or diapers, formula, whatever. And I was need just someone help to do the connections between all this, right. you know, the calls and requests. So that's how it started. Welcome to another installment of Compassion Radio, the daily dispatch from the front lines of faith in a turbulent time for people of every stripe and circumstance. We're glad to have you along for today's adventure in faith. Today's guest embodies probably every single virtue that we celebrate around here. She's intrepid, courageous, selfless, and full of faith. She's also unwilling to take no for an answer when lives are on the line. She's exactly the kind of person the world needs right now, and she's a magnet for others like her, as you'll hear today. And frankly, a real kick in the pants for us who are still standing on the sidelines. I'm glad to introduce her and her calling to you today. On Compassion Radio today, I get to track in person now a couple of people who are on the front lines, and I mean the front lines of faith in all the countries surrounding Ukraine and the heart of Ukraine all the way to the front lines of the battlefields. You are all over the place. Every time I follow you, Oksana, you are somewhere different, running back and forth, bringing aid and relief, especially in the name of Christ. So I want to introduce to our listeners in America here, Oksana Horbanova. You are Ukrainian. You have a Russian name, so you can function in both places. And her guest, Tim. And we'll get to you in a few minutes, if you don't mind, Tim. But, Oksana, especially, welcome to Compassion Radio. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we've watched you, and you've been so gracious to post a number of things to a private message group that is composed primarily of interested pastors and relief workers around the world who are contributing somehow in different fashions to the needs you have right now as you travel throughout Ukraine. You are literally reconnaissance. You go there, find out what the needs are, especially through the church, and say, what can we do to help you? And then you come back with that report and say, who's going to pick up the baton on this one and run with it? And then as soon as that material and that help is available, you cart it all the way back to parts of Ukraine. So tell me, first of all, how in the world did you get in the job of being a frontline courier for the faith in a war zone? That's a funny question, because I'm that kind of Christian that Christianity for me, it's an action. Mm-hmm. It's uh, your lifestyle or just empty words. I mean, if you're not doing anything, you can tell me the best words in the world, but there's nothing for me. So that kind of person, I'm always somewhere, and I'm not that one who can sit in a place. So when the war started in my city, and it was Kiev, in the hmm. capital of Ukraine, I was need to make a decision very fast. I have two kids, and I was need to do something and move them to the safe place. So I took my kids, my cat, three more people, one more cat, okay. so my car was full <laughs> of people. We already heard the bombing in the Kiev and it was hard to get out of the city. But because I had two boys in my car who can like monitor the roads, right? In a, mm-hmm. you know, the live state. We've been bombed. There is one region close to Kiev that everybody was scared to go there. So we went through that region and that's how we got the way. So we got, we actually escaped the Kiev and moved to another city in Ukraine and spent the night there. And we understood that it's not going to stop in in day or week or whatever. Yeah. 
And so next day, I leave my friend there because boys and men would not allow to leave the country. Yes. And I made the decision that I need to get my kids out of there. Of course, I knew that I'm going to go back. I mean, <laughs> that was right away. But I do through the four different countries to get them to the war store because I had a friends here who were ready to accept us. Now, can I ask you, when you stepped out of country, you knew you were becoming back. To do what and how soon did you expect yourself to be back in Ukraine? Um I did not have exact plans, but I had that in my heart. I knew that I'm not going to sit somewhere. I mean, that was for sure. But because like everything, uh, I don't know in English, uh, there are no coincidences. Yeah. So it's okay. always yeah, something coming together on the way. So my way was because I made a decision not go with the short way because we already had a problem with the gasoline. Hmm. And I knew if, I, I, if I'm going to stop on the way, I'm not going to go anywhere and I'm not going to help anyone. So my goal was as soon as I will cross the border with the European Union, I will be possible to buy the gasoline. Mm -hmm. So I went through the Moldovan border. So I drew through Moldova, Romania, Slovakia, Hungary, and then to Poland. So it was like four days away. But before the Moldovan border in a forest, I stopped in a line on a checkpoint and there was a car that stopped right in front of me. And it's a car looked like uh, the guy I used to work with, the one cool businessman in Ukraine. Okay. And I told my older one daughter, like, look, it's car looked like Ilya, but I don't know, I don't know his number. So the interesting thing was the door opened and Ilya came out of the car. You definitely knew it wasn't just a lookalike. Yes, but the solution came with him. The person I knew, he's a businessman in Ukraine, evacuating, saving his family as okay. well, moving out of the country. So we decided that some way we can go together and at mm. least it's kind of, you know, more safe to be together. But I started to receive a phone calls and requests from my friends or people I know, help with evacuation, help with finding a place, help with anything. And I started to solve those problems just on phone. Okay. And after two days, he's realized that I'm always on phone. And because you help one person and then that person share your contact with someone else. Yeah. And there was like so many connections. And I started to receive uh, requests regarding like help to evacuate in orphanages and kids from hospitals and the different stuff. I started to connect with the Red Cross and all other organizations who can help with the ambulance cars and, you know, all that stuff. And some of my friends connected. So this guy, Ilya, that we just met before in the forest, he came to me on one of the border and said, it's not possible. You cannot handle all that uh, request. I will give you a group of volunteers if you can manage them through the phone and still driving. So my two days after was like driving with one hand and arranging the volunteers on my phone by audio, how we do the database of requests, what we do with the drivers, what we do with moms and kids. You know, actually, we started with the Excel tablet. So how we do the, you know, the different pages by cities, by, you know, by needs and by all the connections. Let me hold it right there for yes. a second so I can recapsulate this for our listeners. You are in escape mode. You're running across the country and stuck in a queue in a forest somewhere, just going into Moldova. You run into a good friend of yours, somebody you work with, who's right yeah. in front of you. So like you put it, there's no coincidences. I believe that God does these divine appointments all the time. 
And everything you've talked about since that time has been a divine appointment after divine appointment. But he says, you have a lot on your plate, and I can't handle all this while I'm driving. You're going to have to figure out a way to get this information. Here's some volunteers. Here's some connections. So that was your first big divine appointment was through your colleague. He lets you know about people who can help, and you're trying to be that person that I avoid on the road who's texting and driving at the same time. But you are having to figure out a way to communicate. So that's the scenario yeah. I see you're in. So now you spend the next two days on the road. You're still trying to get your family out of Ukraine, correct? Yes. Right. Yes, because I spent four days. But the interesting thing is that I started to receive not only the request of who need help, mm-hmm. But also I started to receive uh, information like some people were calling me like, Oksana, I can drive. Oksana, I can evacuate. Or Oksana, I have a car or I have a, a kid's clothes or I have a kid's uh, food or diapers, formula, whatever. And I was need just someone help to do the connections between all this, right. you know, the calls and requests. So that's how it started. Okay. So until I got to the Poland, I already was arranged the work with the uh, 10 or 12 people who were accepting requests only from me. I still need to do the analytics because I want to go and check how many requests we actually did and how many people we did evacuate. Did you have to start assessing the needs first based on the requests coming in and then anticipate others that would come? Or did you just take what was on your hands saying, this is what I've been told they need, let's take care of that? How big was your scope? I had no idea at the beginning. I was just, you know, like that boy with the sea stars. Like, I can save this one. So yeah. I just do it. I can I save yeah. this one. I didn't know how many. I mean, that's why I want to do the analytics, because I didn't know how many going to come. And yeah. they were coming, coming. And everyone was bigger than previous one. Yeah. So and you're using the word like, analytics correctly, because you work in IT. So you have that word at the core of what your job function is finding meaning behind the data. So you started assessing what kind of requests are coming in, who is available to connect with who, and then trying to figure out from all that information, what's the most efficient use of our resources and how can we get more people involved in helping right away? Because you knew the time was critical. People were going to start dying and being caught behind enemy lines, and this was not going to be resolved in a week. You could see that just from what you saw on the road. I had the privilege of actually going through a couple of those border crossings outside of Yash into Moldova and back out, and then up towards the top of the country from there to Ukraine and those other routes that people were coming through. So I I saw what you're talking about, very small border crossings, huge queues, one guy in a very small booth running the customs office, how difficult it was to be able to handle an onslaught of hundreds or if not thousands of people a day at a place would normally would have donkey traffic bringing goods to market across the, the stream. So you are now in the West. You managed to get out, and then you find out people want to send stuff back in. So how did you reload your car and prepare for the trip back into Ukraine? Okay, so before I got to Poland, we already had this direction we were working in. Getting people out. Yes. So the second one, it's women with children. And all depends from the city, from the situation. Sometimes if we could connect them with the volunteers in that cities who can bring them like diapers and food, it was if not, and they were uh, like hiding in shelters like during the days. And if the stores are open and they could go at least once a day and buy stuff. So I would just send money to the card and they, they would go and buy them. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the word inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. 
Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. I personally met with dozens of refugees and kingdom workers who ran to the front lines of need and have selflessly given of themselves completely, thoroughly, and as I saw to the point of indescribable exhaustion. I saw refugee and servant alike shiver in a vicious blizzard that struck the first week of March. They were very much alike in one important way. They were absolutely determined to survive this ordeal and to redeem what their lives have become. We need to follow their example. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon, even as this rescue operation rapidly sweeps the refugees farther west away from the fighting. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please, give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at one 800 868 2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. Bless you, friends, for your brave and activist faith. And now, back to our discussion. Sometimes if we could connect them with the volunteers in that cities who can bring them like diapers and food, it was if not, and they were uh, like hiding in shelters like during the days and if the stores are open and they could go at least once a day and buy stuff. So I would just send money to the card and they they would go and buy them. Okay, hold there for that one thought. You're not only coordinating evacuations out of the country or getting volunteers or help back into the country. You're coordinating with people, especially mothers with young children like you who are stuck in the cities and don't know what to do next, and you're helping them find help within their own cities. Yes. Okay. And actually, evacuation, I want to clarify. Evacuation, I mean getting people out from the dangerous cities Hmm. to more safe cities in Ukraine. Not out of Ukraine. Not out of Ukraine. I understand. So internally displaced plus expats. Yeah, so the first direction, it's evacuation from the cities in Ukraine into other cities in Ukraine. I mean, we were connecting them with the drivers, with people who are driving, who can get the pregnant women or kids or elderly or, you know, the different people. So the second direction, this has helped to women with kids in Ukraine in different cities with a different need. And the third direction was helping people who are actually live in Ukraine mm-hmm. to connect them with the volunteer organizations and volunteers on the borders, okay. uh, Moldovian and Poland border, you know, the charity and churches where they can get food or recommendation or any help like medical help or anything with it, like kids or elderly. And when I got to Poland, that's what you asked, how yes. I actually decided to go there. And of course, as I said, I would not just sit in a Poland. So of course, in the next first three, four days, I made all the connections action in the Warsaw, who's the volunteering, who's mm-hmm. helping Ukraine, where is anything that, you know, can help to Ukraine. And I, I met a group of volunteers that I still work with. They are Ukrainians, so we arrange the logistic with the cars that are still going. There is Ukrainian drivers then getting stuff to Ukraine every like two, three days. Okay. Before it was every day, but, you know, it's less and less help. And because everything was in process and there was some stuff that were need to be brought to Ukraine, but very expensive. It's like the fourth direction showed up as a logical, like natural way, help to army, because many Christians went to army. Right. Many people I knew 
were got to army and they were need just a regular simple protection he probably can prove that yeah. they have almost nothing and they need like bulletproof vest hamlets you know the padnets i mean even like uniforms so we started to collect it here and the uniform is just fine and protection but sometimes like night vision or you mm -hmm. know the optic and, and more expensive stuff we did not have the trusted people yet that time so the first time how i decided that was to bring all that stuff by myself so i fold the seats in my car and the whole car was full of stuff i mean <laughs> i don't know if it's actually i should say that but I know how to hide the things the right way and the cover with the diapers and kids formula. So <laughs> I was drawing everything uh, that still some volunteers don't believe what, what exactly I do there. And it started like this. Some of the listeners in America may be a little bit concerned that we're tending towards telling a story about arming people with weaponry or ammunition. That that was out from what you could do, or legally otherwise. Internationally, it was a big issue about who was going to be given the moral and legal authority to import weapons and or ammunition. But nothing was going to limit the humanitarian relief or protection. So things like protective gear for the citizen soldiers that were being called up and the equipment they needed to be able to get around safely, or even radios. I tried to get a set of radios from a fire department don't here. Don't protection right yeah. now, yeah. okay? Only protection. It's all about protection and personal safety. So it is humanitarian and non-lethal aid. That's the things you specialize in. I want our listeners to understand that. There's nothing about circumventing international law or, or sanctions that's involved with Just what you're doing. Just my English, sorry. Some, some my English words. My English is not yeah, that good yeah. enough. No, that's good. I just want to clarify as we go. I'm not trying to correct you at all. You're doing a great job of talking about it. So, yeah, I'm talking only about protection and, like, stuff that protects, uh, you know, the military on the yes. war and like, tourniquets and, you know, the first needs that they use on the field. And I made the first trip, and every time I go to Ukraine with the full of stuff, and I'm coming back with people. So yes. I was coming with pregnant, with kids, with sore friends, sometimes with dogs and cats. And yeah. even I was, uh, con because I drew in such places where I was really dangerous in the beginning and nobody was sure right. that many people could go there. So I actually one day was contacted by BIPOL. It's a Belarusian uh, battalion that are fighting for Ukraine. Hmm. So a couple of times I was bringing them how do you call that? Ashes of the killed soldiers mm -hmm. and yeah, the personal stuff to the families from Kiev and from other cities. And usually it's always where being people, but I forgot names. I even don't remember how many trips and I don't remember people I moved from Ukraine. Sometimes they call me to say thank you. And I, I just don't remember them. I mean, mm. it just. There's only so many, so much bandwidth your brain has when you're involved with giving and going and doing all the time. And actually, you know what? It's like what we just talked with a team today. It's like living on two different planets same yeah. time. I understand. And you're seeing both those different planets in a day's time. You get outside the war zone, you get back inside the war zone. It is like stepping through a wormhole to some other universe. I understand that intellectually. I obviously cannot inhabit the emotional space, the, the shift that your whole psyche has to do to step into where you know you're going to see destruction and death on one side, and you're going to know on the other side you will have helped save lives and that they will actually survive this war. You have about as extreme an experience as someone who's not in the military can have, and you've willingly taken on this role. And Oksana, i got to ask you again, why? Why is it so important for you 
to be that willing to face death on the inside of your country and to bring others to life outside or into safe places within your country? This is probably like, I don't know, a little bit philosophical Mm -hmm. answer. I asked a philosophical question, so go ahead. I think it's like a soldier, the biggest thing you can do for yourself is accept yourself with all your inside, I don't know how you say, like needs or willings or, I mean, the way you are. So this is the way I am. I mean, I never, if you know my life, I'm always doing something. And even my family is laughing all the time. Even if I'm stopped some social projects, there is something else coming up. Yeah. And not because I'm looking for it. It just somehow, as I said, as I met this guy and somehow it started. Then another guy called me and said, Oksana, we need help with the orphanage. So we helped one orphanage and there is four more orphanage showed up. So we helped those four orphanages. And as you know, from the group, yeah. uh, we were looking for a place for them to rest on a way mm-hmm. and my friend and Lviv region went to the mayor of the city and they gave us an old hospital mm-hmm. so we mm-hmm. arranged it for a refugee center and now we have 180 people living there that we are taking care of okay. so I'm, I'm i'm raising the funds for this refugee center and now i have friends from other christian organization who helped us we actually met with one today this is the orphans promise i used to work with cbn the christian broadcast network Mm -hmm. yes so i know people from there from some projects so they help us with the farming with seeding the potatoes for this refugee center so that they can have something to eat in the fall we bought some sheep and and fish and we're already like growing farm and there is like (laughs) there is like crazy life around he's starting the whole new economy uh i think tim (laughs) would understand that the idea of the phrase that you are a magnet for big projects, that certain personality types and your communication skills mean that people just gravitate towards those who can explain or bring light to a situation when everything is so dark. It seems like you have that gift and people will follow that. They will go to it because they know somehow intrinsically they know they're safe. It's kind of like when you travel to a foreign country as a missionary and you're looking for that man of peace, someone that you know you're going to be safe with while you begin the work that God's given you. So you are apparently a person of peace that goes right back into the war. (laughs) It would seem. Tim, I want to get your perspective here too on the work that Oksana is doing and why you chose to work with her. (laughs) Actually, we didn't. And I was like, Wait, so I met the team the personally just today. Okay. But I can say, right? Yeah. His girlfriend, she's Ukrainian, yeah, the fiance. Yeah, sorry. She uh, used to, to be a student in Ukraine, in Kiev, at the Christian seminary where we actually met. Okay. So she told me that he's planning, go to, like he plans to go to Ukraine, and he actually got to the war so when i was in kiev or something but i was the one that was trying to tell him there is nothing romantic in the war you need to yeah. be ready it's nothing that i mean you're not gonna rest there and it, when he told me that he's going to Kharkiv, and i know the city and, and now was the situation even worse that it's been before he got there so i was trying actually to to make him not go okay. yeah she was trying to talk me out of it so when you got there, obviously it wasn't going to be picnics and concerts in the park with your fiance. You were stepping into a place where you're both at risk. What was your experience like, Tim? Um, in all honesty, I would have to agree with exactly what you said earlier. It's something you can somewhat understand, but you cannot really fully understand hmm. unless you've different, you know, because you hear it on the news with everything going on, with all the bombings and the death, and you get one side and then you get another side. And to me, when I got there, you know, trying to do a church service 
in one hour. And then as soon as that hour is done, then you get out to try to feed the people and you yeah. get bombed. Yeah. You know, so it's to me, especially when I was on that missionary trip, that whole perspective of it just changed completely for me. Like I thought I understood it, but I never understood it until I actually experienced it for myself. Okay. So you've experienced something. What do you understand now that you didn't before? What I understand now is how much help actually goes into this. The fact of what Oksana is doing, how much that helps hold the country together, helps hold people together to either help them while they're there or help them to get out of that situation. Because how I've seen it, that if you have no people like that, then those people are completely lost. Yeah. They need someone to help and follow and take instructions with because i've seen situations when we did get bombed everyone just looked frozen yeah. and like what do we do what do we do you need someone that can take control so that you're able to diffuse as much as you can of a very bad situation to snap them out of it we would say and to get them exactly on a, a path that will lead to safety somehow now both of you seem like you have the experience to say you know you're hope builders you, you bring hope to people because you showed up yes sir and you're willing to to do the risky things to help them where they are, whether or not they ever get out of the situation they're in, whether or not they're facing death or might possibly die because of this conflict, that even in that, that Christ is our hope. And for those of us who do know the church and the body around the world who's been involved in all kinds of conflicts and disasters or pandemics throughout the centuries, it always comes down to, is God really present or is he not? Yeah. And is the body present being him? And if so, hope is there. Absolutely. We know that because we've experienced it personally. But between the two of you, you have maybe some different methodologies, but you have some common experience now. Yes, sir. There's more from Oksana Gorbanova and Tim Callanan coming up next week, so I hope you'll tune in then. Call us at 1-800-868-2478. Write us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word compassion to 53445 or make your gift through our website, compassionradio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.